volume two of Timely Greetings, number 19, page seven, paragraph two. All who repent of breaking the law and accept him as their savior arise to walk in newness of life. A life that is in harmony with the law is indeed the righteousness of Christ. Well, that's not hard to understand. A life that is in harmony with the law of God is indeed the righteousness of Christ. They, moreover, no longer sin. Their salvation is secured because, says the Apostle John, my little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2, 1. He therefore cannot sin or stay in sin. He is righteous in the Lord. Until the Lord takes us back to our own land, though, there to change our hearts and to write on them his law, Ezekiel 36, 24 to 28, until then the struggle in which the Apostle Paul found himself, a struggle to obey the law of the Spirit, while the law of the flesh is against it, is to be our lot. But we thank God who gives us power to overcome day by day in the Lord our Savior. Though we fall seven times a day, though we sin unintentionally, if we arise and run the race, we shall win. We cannot lose because we have an advocate, even Jesus Christ the righteous. Our assurance of salvation is therefore guaranteed. So what do you have to do? Stay in the race. And if you stay in the race, you're finally going to come to the end. If you endure to the end, you're going to be saved. There are a lot of snags to snag us and hold us as in a briar patch that you can't get out of without tearing yourself to pieces. A lot of them. The devil has seen to it. Well, there's some snags in the message the devil doesn't have anything to do with. But he knows that they can be snags, or as the message puts it, they can be hooks to hang your doubts on. But I, I prefer to call them snags, because you can see a hook, and you know what it is for, but if you're trying to make your way through a dense area, and you run into briars and snags, well, you can't, you can't do much about it. You either have to back up or go on through. If you go on through, then you're going to get ripped up some, your clothes at least. There are some snags in the message that the Lord has allowed to be there to test his people, to snag those who can be snagged. Some can't be, but some can be. One is the Leviticus. In my judgment, this is the biggest snag there is. And I believe that there will be more Davidians in the end well, not necessarily the ultimate end, but toward the end, go out on the Leviticus than on any other thing in the message. Okay? Now, I don't think that many understand the Leviticus. 
And I think that most of those who do have a working knowledge of the Constitution don't realize that there's some things there that are not prominent, more or less are not on the surface, and you may not get them. So I think that we should study this and really be prepared for the devil's efforts. Well, you, you've already seen what he has tried to do with the Leviticus. The forthcoming tidings deals with some of these things, how he has tried to convince Davidians that the Leviticus is not important, that Brother Hodder didn't pay any attention to it, and so on, which is all the devil's lie. There's no truth in any of it. But he succeeded in, in using this argument to convince some people. So all the way along, we've had trouble. People have brought one uh, question after another, one criticism after another, and if you couldn't clear it for them, which you probably couldn't, well, they used that as a justification for going the way they wanted to go in the first place. Uh, the, the Leviticus is, is a manual of Davidic-Levitic order, theocratic order, and it has a number of phases to it. It has three stages and several phases. And this is what I'm not sure that people really comprehend and have assimilated and can relate to in, in a right way. So this is what I want to go into with you this afternoon. Why, why should we have such a manual, if you call it that? That's not the most choice word I would like to have, but I don't think of anything else right now. It's, it's called the Leviticus. But that doesn't satisfy most minds because they think of the Leviticus in the Bible. And so we have this little booklet, and it sets forth the constitution of Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. And the question arises, why should we have a constitution? When we say that the church shouldn't have a, a manual, and the church shouldn't have a creed, and some say that we have the same thing. Uh, we've had a letter recently from a brother who is solid so far as I know in the message. And he says this question has been put to him. So we're having to work on that now. And I think that we should take a moment to consider the difference between the uh, Seventh-day Adventist manual and the Davidian Leviticus. Uh, there is a world of difference. In fact, there's scarcely any comparison to be made, <clears throat> except they're bound up in, uh, in a little booklet form. <clears throat> the church manual uh, carries legislation, human legislation. That's what comprises it, rules and ideas and resolutions that men have worked out to the best of their knowledge according to their lights. And they've met every now and then in sessions, fall or autumn, and general council conference sessions. And they've legislated. They love to legislate. There's more legislation in the denomination you could get into a lot of big tomes, I tell you. 
I don't know how they'd ever remember it. In fact, I know they don't, don't pay attention to it. It's like a lot of the legislation on the books of the states. Every now and then they get busy and repeal some of it because it's outmoded and it was foolish in the beginning probably. So all the, all the legislation that can be uh, refined into guiding principles is incorporated in the manual. That's all it is. Uh, other than the quotations from the spirit of prophecy. Now, there's some legislation there that is backed up by the spirit of prophecy uh, regarding rules and regulations or how individuals should conduct themselves or how the church should conduct itself with reference to certain problems involving individuals. Right, that's all right. That's good. But it didn't need to be put in the manual. It was in the spirit of prophecy. And then to mix it up with, with man's legislation adulterates it. It wasn't necessary at all. This is why a wiser generation of leaders voted against it. But then a later generation that wasn't so wise, they reversed it. So now we have the manual. They've been with us quite a long time. And they changed the manual from time to time. I changed the wording in some of the, the legislation and revise it upwards and downwards as it suits the case. So you can see there's nothing absolute about it. Whereas the Leviticus is not the result of human legislation. The Leviticus is the result of revelation, inspiration just as is all the rest of the message. Now, the contention has been that the Leviticus is the, is the product of desperation, not inspiration. That the time came at Mount Carmel when we needed to have some type of, of publication such as this that we could show to the Selective Service Board to show them that we were an organization, legitimate organization, and that we worked according to uh, established principles, that we weren't working uh, one way one day and another way the next day to suit our needs, suit the situation. This is what is claimed by some. Well, there's no truth in that at all. I happen to have been in charge of selective service, took care of every case. There was never any thought of, of bringing about a writing such as this to favor us, to help us and favor the young men who were eligible at that time for selective service. But some got that idea. I don't know where they got it. And they promulgated that idea until it went around the field and never did die. Uh, error never does, you know. It keeps proliferating and proliferating and so you have to meet it wherever you go, uh, sooner or later probably. So. The difference between the two, you can see. This is the result of the same inspiration that produced all the rest of the message. Now, if this is desperation, well, then so are the rest desperation in some way or another. What it was desperate about, I don't know any more than I know what he could have been desperate about in producing this. He wasn't desperate about it at all. As a matter of fact, this became the all-consuming concern for quite a little period, not because it was desperate to get it into print, 
but because he saw the need uh, to have it in print to guide workers and to guide members. And all this instruction in righteousness back here in the Davidic Levitic order is broken down into the different portions. This is most excellent material for the spirit of prophecy. It wasn't written by some individual uh, that didn't have the inspiration to do it. So you can see that it's altogether a different production than the manual. So we start off now with a, a publication that purports to be a revelation of divine truth with reference to government. That's what it's dealing with. And it constitutes a very pronounced difference between the government of the, the association and the government of the denomination and the government of all other denominations, with the exception perhaps of one or two that mainly the Catholic Church, but it's got pretty far away too from some of its ex-cathedral pronunciations, pronouncements. But the difference is a very vital difference. Uh, we, can, we can say, well, that's what it professes to be. But there's, there's things in it that make it difficult to believe that. Well, the things in the message that make it difficult to believe that too. Plenty of things in the spirit of prophecy that make it difficult to believe that. There are a lot of things in this Bible that make it difficult to believe that. If you've studied it as long as I have, I, I've got quite a list of them. I won't show them to you. I don't show them to anybody. But they're there, plenty of them, and you can't explain them away. And so the, the student of the Bible that is an unbeliever, but is studying it to disprove it, he's got that list too, and he uses it. Uh, to influence minds that are susceptible. Uh, so with this, see, anyone that decides that, that the, the rod is wrong is going to find something wrong with the Leviticus, as well as the rest of the message. The, um, the Leviticus deals with one kind of government, basically one kind of government. And it's interesting to note that there are many, many kinds of government. There are about 18 kinds of government, and there are twice that many, or maybe three times that many. But well, I just listed 18 that, that I know about, and I'll read them to you. There's the republic, republican government, a government that governs a republic, such as the United States. The United States is not a democracy. The United States is a republic. Now, very few people uh, reckon with this fact and understand it. There's not a pure democracy on earth today. There is a, a, a basic difference between a democracy and a republic. A republic is governed by an electorate, that is, a body that uh, has a valid vote. That is what the United States is governed by, an electorate. Then there's the democracy, and there's the people's democracy, there's a limited democracy, there's a representative democracy, and so on. That is government of the people. There isn't such a thing on earth today, a pure government of the people. It would be a very unwieldy thing. The kind of democracy we do have is bad enough. That is, with its limitations, its built-in limitations, and balances and checks and so on. Very difficult. The Russians can go to town fast. It takes us a month to go to town and get back again, you see, figuratively speaking. We can't turn over business like they do. They can beat us in a race, 
a short race. But they can get into trouble too, you know. Then there's a monarchy. Now you all know about monarchies. There's an absolute monarchy, and there are very few absolute monarchies left on earth. And then there is the, there is the, um, well, it's a limited monarchy. It's a constitutional monarchy, as they have in England, which is a parliamentary government. Now, we don't have a parliamentary government here in this country. There are a number of parliamentary governments in the world. But we don't have one here. And then there, uh, there is an aristocracy. Well, there's no, so far as I know, there's no aristocracy on earth today that's governing a nation. I may be wrong. I, I don't think of one. Anyway, there is that kind of government. There has been in the past. And then an oligarchy. Now, an oligarchy, if you don't know, is a government by a few, just a few. And how those few get in control of the government is another story. But that is what an oligarchy is. And there's, there are a few of those on earth today, perhaps. Then there's an autocracy. And that's simply a euphemistic term for, for a dictatorship, see, a totalitarian government, an autocracy, a nation or a government ruled by one person. Now, there's an absolute autocracy and there's a limited autocracy. And you had a pretty much of an uh, absolute autocracy in the case of Stalin, almost the same with Hitler, maybe more so, Mussolini, and so on. They, they were supposed to be a democracy of a kind, especially in Italy and, and in Germany, but it didn't turn out that way. Then there's a diarchy or a duumvirate or a diumvirate. That means government by two rulers, you see. Well, I don't know of any on earth today. There may be. And then there's a stratocracy. I never heard of a stratocracy before until I happened to run onto it today. You've got some of those on earth. You know what it is? S-T-R-A-T comes from strategy, from stratos in the Greek. Well, that's a military government. And that's what you've got on earth today. You've got several military governments. And you've got some that are wobbly. And then there's the hierarchy. That's not a hierarchy. A hierarchy is a, a group of priests that rule the church. But a hierarchy is a group of priests that rule the nation. There are none on earth, I don't think. There may be one, but I don't know of any. And then there's the patriarchy and the matriarchy. Patriarchy is a group that's ruled by the patriarchs or a patriarch. A matriarchy is a group that's ruled by uh, one matriarch, one woman, or a group. Uh, I guess maybe in the case of the Amazons, who were great, tall women, and uh, I think that they were in control at a time. And there's a gerontocracy. That's a government by old people. And we had one of those for quite a little while in Russia. It was a group of old men that controlled Russia for, oh, how many years has it been? number of years. But now it's changed in Russia. <coughs> the old men are in the background now. Then there's a technocracy. About 50, 60 years ago, technocracy was very much in the news. Uh, there were uh, little groups all over the United States uh, that were forming. Uh, there were technocrats. And it had become quite a, 
a political uh, entity, not strong enough to contend with the Republicans and the Democrats, but it was growing. Well, all of a sudden, it took a nosedive. And today, there's, I don't think there's any technocracy companies in existence. Now, a technocracy is a government by technicians, essentially by scientists and engineers. Well, that was conceived to be the best kind of government because they would know what they were doing. They wouldn't waste so much money, the people's money. Well, I don't know. That depends on how corrupt they were. And then uh, there's the meritocracy. Well, the elite always have felt that a meritocracy would be the most virtuous kind of government because they were informed, they were educated, and so on. But you know that's no guarantee at all against corruption or foolishness. So they never worked. It really is a utopia is what it is. And then, this one's hard to pronounce, holacracy. Holacracy. That really is a, a highfalutin term for mob rule. The mob gets the power and it does its, its work, whatever it may be. And then there is the pantocracy. And this is a government by utopian principles and all fare the same. Everybody. It's been tried. It hasn't worked either. Now there's one left that will work. What is it? It's a theocracy. And, and really, this is an ironical thing, that God started the world out with a theocracy, and man has devised every other kind of an ocracy or government that he could think of, tried everything, many different things uh, that they've tried that I didn't list here. See? And none have succeeded. All have failed. Well, the only two that have survived with any degree of success and acceptance is the republic and, and democracy. The autocracy or the dictatorship, totalitarian government, uh, it has enjoyed a period of prominence in the last 50 years, and it threatens the world today. But the message tells us that it's not going to succeed, and neither is democracy going to succeed, neither is the republic going to stand. Everything is going to give way to the theocracy. God established it that way, and that's the way he's going to have it in the end. And anything that endures in the end is going to be subject to the theocracy. This is what the Bible tells us. This is what the message tells us. You see. So now, we come to the theocracy. You can't have a pure theocracy or an absolute theocracy in a world in, uh, such as we live in. You tell me why. It's obvious. You're living in a land that's ruled by certain laws. That's right. You see, you have all these different kinds of governments in the world. And to have a government by God, carrying out God's laws, would run head-on in conflict with these other governments that are independent governments, and they wouldn't allow for that. So you see, you cannot have an absolute theocracy now. So as God essays to establish the theocracy, he has to consider all these things, because he's not ready yet to cut the, the stone out of the mountain and smash the feet. He's not ready yet to do that. So 
It has to be a relative theocracy today. Wherever theocratic principles can exist compatibly with the laws of the nations, and that would mean that they would have to make concessions in different nations because they have different laws, that's what God is doing. So there's nothing against the law of the land to establish a pasture. No, no law against that. There's a lot of talk about cultism, you know. But there's no law yet that says you can't establish a place like Bashan or Carmel. No law. So that far God could go. And that far God has gone. All right, now, we can't uh, inaugurate or put into effect the law of Zechariah 13. Can't do that. If you do that, the United States will have you up for murder. Can't do that. One day that's going to be done. Be a terrible thing. You see, see your son or your daughter taken out and stoned to death because you wouldn't train that son or daughter properly. Maybe you'll go too, I don't know. But this is what your Bible teaches you. You can't do that now. All right. And there's some other things you can't do now. So you can see that an absolute theocracy is not possible now. God's got it on sort of a sliding scale that he can, he can bring in one aspect after another as it's congress with the laws of the land in whichever land you may be. But if it's in congress, he can't do it. He could do it, but he won't do it. See, because it would bring chaos, it would bring terrible trouble and so on on these people. So he can't do it. So now... We're in a period of a growing theocracy and of growing theocrats. And if the theocrats don't understand the principles of theocracy, then they're going to run too far ahead and get into trouble or lag too far behind with their outmoded democratic and republican sentiments, you see. And they go pretty deep because they were born and bred in us. We all say, yes, we believe in a democracy. We don't believe in an autocracy. Well, that's right. We do believe in a, a democracy, but we don't have too much democracy. We have a lot more than the rest of the world has. But that's not saying all that could be said. We, we don't have a pure democracy. And even in a pure democracy, where you have sinners officiating in a governmental uh, capacity, you, you don't have what you, you, what you desire. We found that out in the years we were in California when we were voting in officers, I tell you, it was something. And the denomination is full of corruption. And all churches are full of corruption when it comes to this. They, they put men in, women in that don't deserve to be in and keep out those that maybe do deserve to be in. So you can't have a sanctified democracy today. If you have a sanctified democracy, you're going to have a pure theocracy. And God is so merciful and so good and so wise that he gives these people all that they can possibly enjoy to their good. See, they'll have more liberty uh, than you'll have in a democracy such as we have today under uh, true theocracy. That's what we're going to have in the kingdom. It's not going to be just rules, 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 and legislation on books and more of it, and so on. Uh, the, kingdom is going to, the kingdom is going to be a society that is as open as a society can be. The children can be playing in the streets, but they can't be playing in the streets of this country today. 
If kids are playing in the streets today, they're going to get knocked down and run over and killed. They're going to bat the ball through somebody's window. I know because I did it myself. So, and the cops will be after you very shortly. And the old men and the old women are not going to be able to, to get around as they, uh, as they would like to now because there's too much danger. But there in the kingdom, that's not so, you see. All going to be chained. So it's going to be an open society as far as morality will allow, divine morality. And that means you're not going to have to be looking over your shoulder to see if somebody with a gun or a knife is behind you, or a pickpocket is at your, at your pocket, as I've had them do. You're not going to have to worry about any of these things. Everything is going to be perfect in the kingdom because you've got perfect people there. All right, now that's a wonderful projection. That thrills us, and we never lose sight of that, you see. But what we do lose sight of are the rules and regulations, you see, that govern us right now as this structure is going up. Uh, this structure is just down at the uh, foundation now, as it were. The superstructure remains to be put up. And that can't be put up until God gets the, the people to, to do the job. Now we come to the first stage of theocracy, of antitypical theocracy, or the antitypical theocratic order on earth, or the antitypical fellowship, theocratic fellowship. Now, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. I won't quote the rest, it's just that much though. We have fellowship. So God has a fellowship here on earth, but that fellowship is imperfect. That fellowship is composed of tares and wheat and good fish and bad fish, wise virgins and foolish virgins, dross and gold and so on, you see. So it's all mixed up. So consequently, you don't have a very beautiful pattern emerging yet of, of unity and harmony and love and peace and joy and all the fruits of the Spirit. You don't have that yet, you see. So that leaves something for you to pick at because you've got that thing in you to pick at things that you don't like. I have. Everybody has. See? This is the nature of the critter. See? We'll pick at the things we don't like. We'll pick at the things that we don't think we're guilty of, but probably are if we can see ourselves as we should. See? So we're, we're in a very precarious stage right now, stage number two. Stage number one was at Mount Carmel when the Lord raised up the instrument to bear the rod, the truth, the message. That was stage number one. And the, that had only one phase to it, and that was the prophet-president phase at Carmel. It's only one phase, you see. One stage, that's stage number one, with one phase. I reiterate this so you'll understand it. See? That was the stage in which the revelation of truth came, that the bowl was filled up, and that ended right there with the Jezreel letters. All the message, and this Constitution, or Leviticus, is part of it, that's in the golden bowl, you see. So we ought not to have any more trouble with this than with any other part of the message, except that it's, it's more recondite, that is, it's deeper, you see, more profound. You have to really study this. 
You have to get down to business to study it and understand it. Somebody's going to twist you up and make you believe that it's, it's all uh, moon mist. Forget about it. <clears throat> Sooner or later, there's going to be a big test on the Leviticus one of these days. I tried to tell people 30 years ago, there's going to be a big test on, on the Friday Sabbath. They wouldn't believe it. We sent out an uh, educator about it. They paid no attention to it. Said it wasn't important. Uh, how, how long was it afterwards that it became a big test? Two or three months, four months, five months? Not very long. See. Well, this is going to be a, a test. It's already a test. It's been a test. It's a test right now. Well, it, it is not the, it's not the great test it's going to be. Well, we have, we have a group in New York. They don't believe it. They say they do, but they don't, you see. You can tie them up tight on it. You can prove it to them in five minutes that they don't believe it. Well, the same with all the rest of the Davidian groups with the exception of Jordan. See? Jordan claims to believe it because he, he, he takes everything the Bashan has. See? But he doesn't understand this. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't uh, profess to, so he'll get caught on it too. And the rest of them will. Well, that's why I'm so concerned that all of you understand it well. Now, passing on from stage one, and I don't say phase one because there's only one phase, you see. So passing on from stage one of this developing theocracy, government by God, we come to another stage, and that is a, a non-profit elected consul, corporate stage. Now, I realize I've been working in this terminology here for a long time, and it, 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 it's, not, it's not just open and clear to everybody, so I'm going to explain it. After the prophet died, they should have called a session according uh, to the Constitution, you see. They didn't call a session. The consul at Carmel didn't call a session. They simply appropriated the authority and the power that was resident in the authority unto themselves. They even said that they had the power that Moses had and so on. And then they legislated. And that was what brought all the trouble. That's what finally brought the, the uh, what do you call it? Knockout blow. Yeah, right. That's what brought it, you see. Oh, I'll repeat this. After the prophet passed away and that stage passed away, that stage number one, the prophet-president stage, you see, of theocratic order or fellowship. You all get that concept? That's the Elijah stage. You can use a lot of different terms, you know, to describe it. But that's the Elijah stage, the Jezreel stage, the prophet-president stage, the president-chairman stage prophet, president, chairman stage. You see, there's a lot of different uh, terms you can apply to it to bring out the different facets of it, you see. And not just one facet. There are a number of different ones. Then came the non-prophet, and it was P-R-O-F-I-T as well as P-R-O-P-H-E-T, you see. Uh, definitely non-prophet in every sense of the word. And that non-prophet stage was to be set up in accordance with the Constitution. But it wasn't. They paid no attention to this Constitution, you see. They usurped the power of the organization that should have been brought into existence. 
They preempted it, you see. Never allowed it to come into existence. They preempted it themselves, this body called the Council at Carmel, which was a local council. A very difficult time getting people outside of, of Bashan uh, to realize that that Council at Carmel was not this council here that I'm pointing to in the Leviticus. I'll prove that to you if I have any time left when I get that far. So the, the council became the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin in Christ's day was a ruling body. But that Sanhedrin was not appointed by divine fiat. In other words, God did not say, but this one and that one and this one and that one. They didn't come with credentials of inspiration. They, they became members of the Sanhedrin through a different process. So it was with the, with the Council at Carmel. It became the Sanhedrin. Well, the, the denomination has a Sanhedrin. That's the General Conference. God wanted the theocracy to start back in 1844. And he started it. He reactivated the spirit of prophecy. And... If they had honored the spirit of prophecy, the office of the spirit of prophecy, they would have done a lot different. You all know the story, you see. But they kept Sister White uh, where she was. She was innocuous. She didn't, she didn't have anything to uh, say so far as legislation was concerned. She didn't interfere. She kept herself out of the politics, kept herself out of the governmental uh, functioning. She just stayed to her last and did exactly what God had told her to do. But they should not have allowed that to happen, you see. They, they were in an ideal situation to have a different kind of a government uh, and, and to put it as a showpiece here in the world. In came, getting back here now to the, the Davidian Sanhedrin, the consul at Carmel, in came this non-prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, non-prophet, elected consul, a corporate that means made up of all the people voting, you see, the corporate body. Well, that's what we had then. And instead of conducting business, according to this booklet here, they legislated as they would. Not that they did everything wrong, but they did too much wrong. And maybe another body would have done the same thing. It was a difficult uh, time, a difficult position to be in. And so... Uh, I would be charitable to say that, as I have said, that maybe another body would have done worse than they did. Getting off the track, you see. Once you jump the track, you may do anything. And this is what they did. They hit an open switch, they went off into something that was unconstitutional, and from there on they had to legislate. They were on their own, on their own inspiration, which was not inspiration at all. So that period ran its course. And you know the finale. You know what the outcome was. Finally in the, what did you say it was? Knockout blow. A knockout blow. You can't knock out God. No one knocked out Brother Hadaf. No one knocked out Sister Hadaf. No one knocked out any of the prophets of God. Whatever they did, they didn't knock them out. They, they endured. I mean their work endured. But the work of the, this, this console, it didn't endure. It just blew up, and it resulted in their selling off Mount Carmel, taking what money they could get, and leaving everybody else to hold the bag, you see, the sack. This is what happened. Now, what were we going to do? You couldn't bring back Brother Hadaf. 
You didn't want to perpetuate what had blown up, see, as Davidian. What we're going to do? We know the message is the truth. See? We know what God, what God is setting his hand to do is to bring back the theocracy. Everything in the Bible shows you that. Every prophecy shows you that, you see. So what were we going to do? We couldn't turn back to that self-disqualified body. That's what it was. They wouldn't, they wouldn't honor the, the Leviticus. They wouldn't call a session and bring in the kind of association that they should have brought in. So what were we going to do? There were thousands of Davidians around. What were we going to do? Just take it and do nothing. That's what the devil would have liked to have us done. But rather than that, the Lord brought about a reorganization. Now that reorganization would have had to be on right principles. So the thing that was done was to call a session, just as this says right here. A session had to be called. Announced in two consecutive issues of the symbolic code. See? But only the council had a right to do that. And we didn't have a council. So before we could do that, we had to do something else. And since the association is made up of the people, then the people had to elect a council, a pro temp council. And so letters were sent out worldwide to Davidians. And the questions were put to them. Do you believe that the association should be reorganized? And if so, these are the ones, uh, no. How do we put about the council? I don't remember how it was now. I can't recall. But anyway, the uh, council was elected by the people, not by any one person. And uh, uh, the vote was uh, almost unanimous. I think there was one or two negative votes. One or two, which was it? One. One negative vote from all around the, the field. So you see we had a, a unanimous, almost unanimous mandate to go ahead. <clears throat> and. The council was elected. Brother Allen of Jamaica was the, the, uh, the chairman pro tem. Uh, Brother Warden was on it. My wife was on it. Two or three others were on it. I was not on that council. They did the bid, took care of the business. They called the session. And uh, when the session took place, oh, they announced the time of it and the place of it and so on. And when the session took place, then they voted in the, the officers that were to constitute the, the first group of officers, and that were not the same that were on the council, that is the pro tem council, not all the same. So that brought in the second stage of government, but it was not a profit president stage. It was a non-profit, follow me, no profit, let's put no profit, no profit, an elected council not a divinely appointed council, corporate body made up of all the people, you see. Now that's what you had from the time that the organization was reorganized in 1961 in the session in Los Angeles. Then the light came with regard to the pastures, essentially Bashan then. And the, the council that was elected uh, carried on now in accordance with the Constitution and the bylaws, but you could not have under that form of government. You could not have president chairman, for the president chairman has to conform to the constitution here. There was no one then to uh, step into that that office. 
So what had to be done, we had to change the bylaws. You say, oh, you changed the bylaws? Well, listen to this. Bylaws, Article 6 bylaws. Bylaws may embrace any provision not inconsistent with the Constitution. The Association at any session thereof may enact, amend, or repeal bylaws by such a representation and vote as is exemplified in the Acts of the Apostles, page 195-196. So in order to go ahead now in this transition from, from the first stage of theocratic government at Carmel to the second stage now, which was a non-profit stage, we had to change the bylaws. We had to repeal one part and make an emendation to allow to go ahead and uh, uh, function with a vice president because this association was established to function under a president. Nothing, nothing in this, nothing in the Constitution at all that indicates in any way that this association can function under a vice president. You see? So this bylaw, uh, this had to be amended. The Constitution had to be amended to this effect that since the prophet president was gone and the association was, was still continuing on, then you had to have a vice president. So to that extent, the bylaws were changed. Now the bylaws can be changed any time. If we want to call a session, according to the, to the Constitution, announce it in two consecutive issues of the code, the symbolic code, if there's something we have to take care of, we can do that. You see, that's what the Constitution tells us. But there's been no need of that so far. And I don't, I don't perceive any right now. I don't know what may come up in the future. But this is what we had to do. So now, we have a new association. We have a reorganized association, but under a different kind of government, you see. Now we're back under a democratic government uh, that is democratic to this extent, that God is still leading. See? The chariot is still here, and God's still giving directions, but we don't have, we don't have the Shekinah, as it were. We don't have the prophet president present. See? So, it's a modified form of government. It's not the same as we had at Carmel in this second period that I'm talking about, you see, when light on the, on the pastures came. And we knew that this is what we had to do. So this is what we did. We set about to find the pasture. We set out uh, location individuals, that is to lo locate the place where we would establish the pasture. Some went to Indiana, some went to Arkansas, here in Missouri, and in the finality, this was the place that was chosen for various reasons. It shall have full executive and administrative power between sessions of the association. Now, this is very significant, between sessions of the association. You notice that? Now, from the time that Mount Carmel was established till the time that Mount Carmel ended, there was never a session. Never. Nothing even with a semblance of a session. Brother Hadoff never recognized that council at Carmel. See? Had he recognized that council at Carmel, he would have had to do exactly what this said to do. He would have had to call 
uh, session, a constitutional session, by advertising it, notifying the body of Davidians in two consecutive issues of the code. This association shall hold regular sessions at such time and place as the Executive Council, this is page 7, as the Executive Council shall designate. You see, it was a, it was a council that was the designated. So they were well within their right here, you see. It wasn't the chairman that was to do it. That the council shall designate by a notice published in the symbolic code the official organ of the organization in two consecutive issues before the date of the opening of the session. So this is what had to be done. But this never was done at Mount Carmel. No power was vested in the local council. This is what I want to impress your minds with. Now, we talked with the, the vice president of the uh, New York group at that time in a meeting one night, and he wouldn't accept that, you see. I told him it was just a local council. It didn't have any constitutional authority. He wouldn't accept that at all. But during the period of uh, Carmel's existence, there was never a session called, you see. Now, that's significant. In fact, that's all important. So that proves that the council at Carmel never had any constitutional authority, any constitutional function at all. It was simply established to relieve Brother Hoff of some headaches. When the kids get fussing and the parents get involved, he didn't want to bother with it. He said, you fellows go work this thing out yourself, you see. And that's what the council was for. The council never gave Brother Hoff any wisdom they never authorized Brother Hodov to do a single thing. He never recognized the council as a body that was to be an advisory body for the conduct of the work. Never. Even at Carmel. And never outside of Carmel, you see. Or well, maybe, if, maybe if he thought that uh, there was something involving all the, the body at Carmel and uh, he, he wouldn't exercise his judgment, he'd call them and let them settle it. Well, that was a different thing. But... Not so far as the conduct of the message was concerned. So you see now, those who say that this council at Carmel was the council of the book are absolutely wrong, dead wrong, 100% wrong, couldn't be more wrong. Never was a council, never was a session call, therefore they had no administrative power at all. Well, this says plainly, it shall have full executive and administrative power between sessions. Never a session. So they never had any administrative power, that one at Carmel. So this council was yet to come into existence in any form. See, and now in a relative form, it came into existence when second stage association came in owing to the end of first stage association at Carmel. When Brother Hodder passed away, you see. Then finally, after that false association or false council, then came this second stage. It was during this period, the, the, relative, the relative development of this council, during this stage, that the session was held, light of the pastures came, and finally in 69, when the light on the restoration of the theocratic order as set forth in the Leviticus, page 6, came. Very interesting how that came. As I was working along on the publications, I said, this can't be. This will never be. And at the same time, Brother Burke was saying the same thing. So Brother Burke called me and came down and 
He said, look, I said, yes, Brother Burke, you see, I've got the written out right here. It was very obvious to those who at the time were proficient in the study of the Leviticus. Well, Alan was able to see it, but he never could get himself lined up again. And others could too. So then came the return to, to theocratic uh, government, developing again now. And this is, th this is stage number three. Now, follow. We're through stage number two, the non-profit stage. You see, we're through that. Now we're into the second stage of the prophet chairman. Well, it's not the prophet chairman, it's the porter chairman is what it is. Now you can say this is simply a substitution of synonyms here. That may be so, but this is what we prefer to say because this is what the message shows. So now we're in the stage, this is the second theocratic stage now. Phase one. Now, I emphasize phase one. We don't know how far away we are from the kingdom. And as the, we, the article in the, in the tidings uh, states, there may be phase two. There may be phase three. There could even come phase four. We don't know how long it's going to take. Only God knows how long, though I've gone over this time element with you before. It doesn't look as though it's going to allow for much time, you see. But we don't know just what's going to happen. So we allow for phase two, phase three, or however many God sees there was to be. It may only be phase one. We don't know, you see. But we have to be prepared. So let us look at it realistically. <clears throat> We're in phase one of stage two. This is really the third stage of theocratic government, but I'm talking about now the Porter President phase, which is the profit phase, not a non-profit phase, you see. So whereas it's, if, whereas it's stage two of the profit President fa Association, it's phase three so far as the different phases or d different stages are concerned. First, you've got Carmel, and second, you've got outside of Carmel, or those that stayed at Carmel and, and ruled, carried on the way they did, and we're not counting that now. You see, that's, that's out. So you have phase one at Carmel, then you got the association from the time the association was restored till the time that, that Bashan came in. You see. Oh, that's stage two. See, that's the nonprofit elected council corporate body. That's stage two of, of Davidian Association. See, all right. Now, that ended in 69, right? Yes. And the other emerged. So now we're back again where God started us at Carmel. But we've got the whole message now, and they didn't have it at Carmel. See, at Carmel, the message was coming. It was emerging. And the bowl was being filled. Now down here in stage two of that work, the prophet-president work, you see, of theocratic association, we've got the message. Well, we don't have any more message. But now the message is to be bound up. Now, then it was being produced. Now it's being bound up. This is the essential difference, you see. Now when we come to stage three of theocratic government, of prophet-president government, that's the restoration now in Gilead. That'll be phase one of stage three. 
See? You get this? Stage one was where? Carmel. Carmel. Oh, this, this is the prophetic stage. Then, stage two, the non-prophetic stage was where? From 61 to 69. See? Non-Carmel, we're away from there. Weren't yet at Bashan. Though we had the light on Bashan at that time. All right. Then stage three, presence, you see. Now, stage three continues on. And it'll be in the kingdom. You could call it stage four. But under the prophet president is really three. Yeah. That's what you were saying. Yeah. But they're going to be, there's going to be a different form of government there, you see. So really, I have to call that phase one over there of stage three. Unless, unless I, I have to change it. I'll, I have to think that out. But you can see that's going to be a different phase over there. You're going to have a theocracy now. We're going to be in our own land, have our own government, our own laws. And we're going to be a uh, enfranchised body, as it were, separate from all the rest of the world. They can't do anything to us. If they try, you know what's going to happen. Because they're covering over the place. And uh, God's protection is there. So that phase of the restoration of theocracy in this world is, is going to be something. Uh, it's really going to be something. There's going to be a wall of fire about us. And nothing can happen uh, to us then. Whereas everything can happen now, if God permits it. Nothing will happen then. So what we're concerned about is the present, right here now. This, this stage we're in, and this phase we're in. Now only God knows whether this phase will phase out. I'm using two different words. This phase will be phased out, spelled different, so far as I'm concerned. Or whether it will be the last phase of stage three. We don't know. But if, if, if it comes to its end, if phase one comes to its end, there's going to be a hullabaloo. You know what that is? <laughs> and this is where a lot are going to go out, you know. <laughs> this is the snag. It's already snagged some. So, I recommend highly that you read carefully what's coming out in the tidy, you see. Because there's not going to be any more non-profit elected council corporate association. No more. However many phases of, of stage three there may be, there's not going to be a corporate body an elected council, and so on. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Association. You can find us online at www.bashanhill.org and you can call us at 417-835-2162.